episode 12 of It's All Part of the Plan, DC Talk right here on Get Into Geek. My name is Mitch, talking all things DC on the big and little screens. And over the last week, had plenty of news, plenty of rumours that have been shut down by Mr. James Gunn and our first casting announcements in the DCU. All that is to come on today's podcast, as well as some reviews on my journey through the DC TV universe as it slowly comes to its end before the DCU resets everything. But before we get into all of that, today marks the 85th birthday of the one, the only, Superman. Yes, April 18th marks 85 years since the character of Superman was debuted in Action Comics way back 1938, if you can believe that. What an unbelievable legacy, and I say that with no pun intended, although it is a nice wrap-up to think that's where the character is heading. But you think over the last 85 years, the number of comics, books, video games, films, TV shows toys, songs inspired and about this guy. Hell, the legacy of the symbol of the S itself. What a journey this character has been on since 1938. And to think that after 85 years, when it all comes down to it, Superman and Batman, who celebrates his 85th anniversary next year, are the faces of the DC brand. And yeah, for all intents and purposes, DC started with Superman. And so it's kind of fitting that the DC universe, what we're going to see with these characters across multimedia, film, TV, animation, video games, ongoing, is going to be started essentially by Superman. We might get some of that beforehand. We will touch a little bit later on about the rumored order of how we're going to get the new DCU. But as James Gunn said in that announcement back in January things really kick off with Superman Legacy, the character that means so much to him that he decided to, on top of everything else that he's doing at DC Studios, to actually write and direct this film as the flagship, the catalyst of the new DC universe. Now, not everything has to fall in line with a milestone, but it does suck that we have to wait an extra two years to see Superman Legacy and that we don't get something happening right now around this anniversary. Hopefully, though, we do get something over the course of the next 24 hours. We're not going to get a casting announcement, surely, but something from James Gunn and the future of the DCU to honour this anniversary with some kind of little little taste, a little tease about what's to come for the Superman that we're going to meet in the future of this franchise. But from the beginnings in comics, we have television, we've got films, books, video games, whatever it might be. What is your favorite Superman moment? Drop us a comment, drop us a line, hit us up on the socials. Let us know what is your ultimate Superman moment. Like I said, it could come from anything. You let us know and we'll read it out on our next episode. Now, over the last seven days, we've had plenty of fun from James Gunn around some little tidbits of information and debunking some rumors. But prior to that, we had Star Wars Celebration in London last weekend. You can check out our Across the Galaxy recent episode. We debrief about everything that was announced and revealed over the course of that weekend. But during it, James Mangold was there. Now, he's been lined up to direct a future Star Wars film. During an interview, he did confirm that, yes, he is doing Swamp Thing for the DCU, but couldn't say which of those future films will be lining up first. James Gunn taking to Twitter after to say, yes, James Mangold is coming on board. He's very excited and what a great director he is. Of course, he has Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny to come out in June, July this year first before he gets to 
either one of those two projects. Who knows which is coming up first? But then James Gunn, as he has every week that we're talking about this, and I do encourage you, if you even if you don't have Twitter, maybe join Twitter just to follow James Gunn and get some first-hand information because he's basically just debunking a lot of rumors out there, which is great to hear it literally from the guy who's making all of the creative choices. Off the back of some tweet that Gunn had written, someone responded that he likes to play favorites and cast the same actors over again, which follows on over the last month of people saying that he likes to put his wife in everything, which we covered in our last podcast. But he did respond to that with something that tied into a later tweet about potentially some Marvel characters making the move over. He said, yes, I have favorite professional actors I've worked with over the years, people whose voices and styles I understand intimately and who understand my writing intimately as well, who I don't have to explain my process to all over again. That's how this job works, which is hilarious when you think about the amount of directors that have their favorite actors that they like to work with. No one's complaining about Scorsese always working with DiCaprio or De Niro because that just kind of works out and people like it and it isn't in this sphere of comic book franchises which let's be honest has a lot more of a toxic fandom. Gunn did later add to that uh, when he was asked, do you think you'll ever hire actors from the Guardians movies for some DC projects? He simply replied, yes. Someone else asking, have you talked to the cast from Guardians of the Galaxy about potentially being in the DCU? He replied, again, pretty simply, some of them. Now, one Guardians actor that has long been rumoured to join the DC cast, even before James Gunn came on board, was Dave Bautista. And though now the focus is around Chris Pratt, and in particular, Booster Gold, which is among the projects that has been announced as part of Chapter 1 of the DC Universe. Gunn, of course, is not going to be confirming those actors playing those roles, or even which actors are going to be joining the DCU, if at any at this stage, because they probably haven't been cast. But it's nice to see that he is going to respond to those questions, regardless of how many times he gets asked them another rumor which can you even call it a rumor it just seems like clickbait stuff from very small websites suggested that zachary levi had been booted by james gunn from the role of shazam in the future dc film universe which let's be honest was probably going to happen anyway because gunn was in talks with alan richson for the role alan richson of course has previously been aquaman in the smallville dc era more recently playing hawk on titans with appearances as well on supergirl and legends of tomorrow before playing jack reacher for amazon prime now would he be a good fit yeah he's got a charming personality he's certainly got the physical body for it but james gunn did come out and shut that down when asked is this true about linking up with alan richson and booting zachary levi from the role gunn replied no lol jesus and it's like yeah this guy's probably sick of having to deny every single rumor out there but they're going to be made up there's going to be clickbait articles and good on him for having the time when he's sitting there on the couch to say that's not true another rumor going around just in the last couple of hours has been the russo brothers who of course directed the most recent avengers films and the last two captain america films basically mcu royalty at this point and have said that they wouldn't come back unless it was going to be certain projects but they want to take all this time off but they've been asked in the lead up to the citadel coming out on prime next week 
would they be interested in going to DC? And they said, yep, James is running things over there. We love him. And if it was going to be any character, well, we love Batman the most of those characters. So that would probably be it. So the rumors going around is that they want to direct Batman the Brave and the Bold, which is not what they said, but could they join the franchise in the future? We'd certainly be watching it with interest after what they did with several Avengers films. So not likely to happen off the back of that comment, but certainly would be interesting. And the last one, which not that I want to sit here and go through everything that James Gunn has commented on over the last seven days, but it is kind of news in the way of telling us what is not news over the last seven days, despite the amount of people that are out there making stuff up. James Gunn was tweeted a screenshot of a conversation where it suggested that some of the other stuff in Chapter 1 would be Animal Man, Lobo, Justice League, New Frontier, Superman versus The Authority, Peacemaker Season 2, and Mr. Terrific, which James Gunn simply said no. Asked further about whether there was any truth to it by that person who tweeted him, James Gunn said no truth to all of those things being in Chapter 1. It's totally made up. Peacemaker Season 2, though, is coming out after Superman Legacy, which we know at this point is July 2025. So even if we get Peacemaker Season 2 in August, September 2025, that will still be more than three and a half years since Season 1 hit our screens at the beginning of 2022. Long time between drinks, but certainly a lot of time for the other properties in the DC Universe to reset what that show is and about ongoing. Now, rumors aside, the real news of the week was getting some casting information for the DCU. We finally have it. Well, I guess we first got it when Viola Davis was confirmed to remain as Amanda Waller. But aside from that, we get some casting news. Now, Viola Davis is actually a part of this show, Creature Commandos. Now, this was the first project on the slate that James Gunn revealed back in January as the first batch of Chapter 1 of the DCU. There hasn't been any confirmation that this would be the first project we saw, but James Gunn did say that he had already written all the episodes and you would hope that being animation, not that that is a quick process, but as far as lining up actors and their schedules, doing voice work is a lot easier getting someone in a booth anywhere around the world rather than getting every actor in the same place to record a scene for live action. So we go from James Gunn writing the series. His brother, Sean, who is, of course, part of his Guardians of the Galaxy cast, is returning as Weasel from The Suicide Squad. He will also be playing the role of G.I. Robot. Steve G. reprising his role as John Economos. Alan Tudyk is in there as Dr. Phosphorus. David Harbour, the baddest bad Santa of all, as Eric Frankenstein. Zoe Chow as Nina Mazursky. Indira Varma as The Bride. Maria Bakalova as Princess Alana Rostovich. And the big one, considering his comments in the week leading up to the announcement, Frank Grillo, crossbones himself from the MCU, will be playing Rick Flagg Sr. So here we are talking about which Guardians of the Galaxy, which Marvel actors might be making the move over to the DCU alongside James Gunn. And in one show, we get two of them, David Harbour and Frank Grillo, who will be voicing these characters in the first animated series set within this new DC universe. And what's exciting about that is that James Gunn did confirm back in January that anyone that is attached to any project, whether it be video games, animation, TV, movies, are playing those same characters across all medium. So there is a good chance that we are going to see a number of those actors and actresses reprise those roles 
on the big screen. Sean Gunn obviously going from live action as Weasel in the Suicide Squad to animated here, but it will be great to see the likes of David Harbour and Frank Grillo, who we've seen as live action MCU characters, now play animated DC and then make that move to live action DC. Maybe in the Wallace series, which was the second announced project in James Gunn's video back in January. That's it for the news. As far as things to look for over the next seven days before we come back, there are certain cinemas around the country. Depending on where you are, you'll have to Google them to see for sure that are screening the Dark Knight trilogy beginning this Sunday, the 23rd of April. Every Sunday for three Sundays, one film every week. So Batman Begins is on this Sunday, followed by The Dark Knight. Next Sunday, the 30th of April, and the following Sunday, May the 7th, The Dark Knight Rises. If you want to see those films back on the big screen again, Batman Begins only two years away from celebrating its 20th anniversary, if you can believe that madness. Jump onto Google and uh, find a cinema near you. That would be pretty great to see those films back up on the big screen. Something else which is hitting us very soon, of course, is The Flash in the middle of the year. A new second full-length trailer will be debuting next Tuesday, the 25th of April. There are already teasers out there online. No doubt you have seen it. Some pretty cool action stuff featuring Michael Keaton's Batman, but the full trailer will be out April 25 next week, and we'll be covering it in our next It's All Part of the Plan podcast. Right now, though, we jump back into my journey through the DC TV universe. Nothing to do with the DCU, but it's as the uh, Arrowverse and beyond as it slowly starts to wrap up. Three shows this week. We are talking Supergirl. We are talking The Flash. And right now, Batwoman Season 2, Episode 10. Time off for good behavior. Okay, fine. So there is a TV reporter. Either A was able to follow Batwoman to the snakebite takedown at the beginning of this episode, and or B get there before the false face were able to send in reinforcements after a distress call was no doubt put out. I don't want to shit on the episode, like from the opening seconds, but there is really a lot of mystery that gets taken out by a bat anyone when the media are there kind of filming the whole fight that's in full view of the public, anyone that's going to be around there. So I just thought it was a little bit strange when a TV van rolls out, April O'Neil jumps out of the car and a cameraman, and they're basically live commentating a fight between Batwoman and some random thug. Batwoman then comes up to the camera and gives a little interview and, and, and a quote talking to Black Mask, promising to come and find him. It's like, I don't see Batman doing that. Now, Batwoman's a different character, I get all that, but still, I kind of wish they were all a little bit similar in the way that they like to move in the darkness and keep a little bit of mystery about them but that's just me and then you got commander kane sitting in his car for god knows how long when we meet him he's just sitting in the front seat in the car park listening to news reports about that takedown but only then does he adjust his mirror and a false face thug is right there in his back seat what for the whole time he was there how did he not see them when he got in i don't understand this is the, the second time this has happened in a couple of episodes of batwoman where someone in the same car park has been sprung by someone sitting in their back seat now i get that these thugs these bad guys you know some of them are highly trained assassins could probably get away with this stuff but my god they need to beef up security in the car park of the crows and what was he even adjusting the mirror from the only time we see people in film or tv adjust their mirror is to reveal someone in the back seat i don't know about you but i do not move my mirror before i hop out of the car so i don't have to adjust it when i get back again might just be me 
Look, other than that, I will give the show some credit, actually, around the uh, community centre storyline. While it was the, the genesis for the bad guy of the week storyline, it, it did actually touch on what's becoming a, a loud argument of why Bruce Wayne doesn't just pump a heap of wealth into anti-crime, something that was really touched on in The Batman. Matt Reeves is The Batman with Robert Pattinson last year, where People on the outside leading up to that film's release, not anything to do with the movie itself, but we're asking if Batman is, is the richest guy in the world, if he really wanted to make a difference, he wouldn't dress up as a rodent and beat up mentally ill people. He would be putting money into helping people. He would be pumping money into research, into hospitals, into centres that would cater for people and, and stop crime before it happens and... The Batman covered that and said that it was a generational thing that Thomas Wayne, Martha Wayne, had put in a whole ton of money 20 years earlier, but that that too had been corrupted and there were bad guys out there to steal that money for their own gain. So even when his family put their money into trying to solve the problem before it arrives, even that doesn't work. So you can kind of forgive the guy for trying to dress up as a bat and going out there and punching people in the face. So I like in here that Ryan, who is someone off the streets, Mary, who's got a bit of money behind her, team up to create this community centre that can help out disadvantaged areas within Gotham City, but that that too became a target and that that brought on the need for Batwoman to intervene and help out while Ryan and her own persona was doing her bit during business hours. And yes, while Ryan tends to do a lot of the daytime sort of work while Batwoman does it after dark, I will kind of ask a little question about why Batwoman or Ryan somehow hidden wasn't chaperoning the prison transfer that her girlfriend was in and that that kind of freed them up to get attacked and her pretty easily kidnapped by Black Mask's people so that she can now answer for her snitching. I haven't seen next week's episode yet. I don't know what's going to happen, but it certainly didn't look good. And I kind of felt that instead of Ryan working at the bar, maybe she could have been there wearing a mask and keeping an eye on things. But again, it might just be me. Flash Season 7, Episode 7, Growing Pains. Now, I know that I said that the one with the 90s the other week was the best Flash episode that we've had in a long time, but I actually think this might be even better. And not for any extravagant reason. In fact, the opposite. This episode reverts back to the Villain of the Week territory that this season lived and breathed on for years. But I think that after what feels like at least a season and a half around an overly long, connected story around the not-quite-intricacies of the one big bad guy, The Flash, as a show, needed to go back to that simplicity of its roots. And this did feel like an old-school Flash episode, albeit centred around one of the secondary characters that has built up since the show's first season. And I feel like this episode had the opportunity to open itself up to criticisms that I would throw around with these shows, the, around the lack of consequences. Killer Frost is a bad guy. Yes, she has since turned a corner and now fights side by side with The Flash, but outside of anyone in that core team, nobody knows this, and she has not, by law, paid for her many, many crimes. So while it was nice for the team and even Frost to try and figure out who had been framing her in this particular episode and get her off the radar of this new investigator that's in town, it was nice that she had a moment at the end where she said, yeah, I've actually got to do the right thing. If I have truly turned this corner, I have to pay for my crimes and I have to answer for them. So while we had a pretty underwhelming court case around Lex Luthor and his many, many 
global crimes over on Supergirl last week. I'd like to see what's going to happen next week on The Flash when Killer Frost has to front up and whether this show handles it better than what Supergirl did last week. Speaking of Supergirl, Season 6, Episode 3, Phantom Menaces. Hey, it's a Star Wars reference. Not really. Well, kind of, but still. They are menaced by some loose phantoms from the Phantom Zone that have managed to trickle over from last week. Hopefully that was always their plan and they didn't just get to week three and say, hey, this is kind of a sequel to last week, right? Uh, Done. The writing is done for us. But not only that, they have not only infected the guy from last week, whose name I can't remember, but now Morgan is at threat of dying, becoming a phantom, and the show losing her. Well, not even forever. The show's got about 10 episodes left, but still, we push on. It was kind of the most uninteresting thing going on in this episode anyway. I kind of like the Lex Luthor stuff more. While I was underwhelmed about the court case last week, this is kind of Lex being Lex. He's out, he's free, he's able to make really evil decisions and does that in this one. Just when Lena thinks she has one over him and stealing his money and making donations to charitable organizations like a children's hospital, Lex goes and burns the children's hospital down just to get back at her. It's like, Oh my god, that's some truly evil shit, which then brought on a wonderful scene with Lena and Brainy coming up with a way to end things for good. He's a maniac. I mean, this is just sport to him. It's just another way to beat me. I hate him so much. I hate his face. I hate his voice. I hate his suits. I hate his never-ending games of depravity. I wish he would just die. I wish we could kill him. We should kill him. We could craft a perfect murder. First, with just the tiniest rewiring of his home, we can deliver a near-fatal electric blow. He'll be paralyzed, but he'll still be aware of what's happening to him. From there, we'll finish him. You choose the method. He's your brother. (laughs) But just make it slow, okay? After that, we'll dismember the body and scatter the pieces across the universe. I know exactly which planets have atmospheres with pressures high enough to decompose carbon in an instant. This time, there will be no Lex resurrection. stop. Now, we won't play it, but... Then later on in the scene, Brainy, this cybernetic character from the future, then goes on a crying and screaming rampage. But what I did like about how that particular story ended, similar to The Flash at the beginning of this season, where he decided the way to beat the bad guy was not actually fight them, but to talk them down. This is kind of the same way with Lena saying to Lex, now, they've never been in a great punch on, and we wouldn't expect that, but her saying, I'm not going to fight you, I'm just going to leave. And then that in turn, seeing Lex react far worse than he ever has to anything that Lena has done to him because he's always known he's one step ahead of her and he never expected this. So I did like that she made that choice. What that means ongoing, I don't know. And that kind of pushes me into point number three around this episode. And while I said the Phantoms were the more uninteresting thing about what's going on, maybe it was reserved for the title character, which is so unfortunate. I know that we're only three episodes in, and that this has only been the second episode where Kara has truly been stranded. But we are talking about the series' final season, and you are sidelining your title character in a far-off place for at least two Maybe, hopefully, only three episodes. And during those episodes, certainly this particular one, 
we don't see her very much. They didn't give her a lot of story, so her little bit scenes were scattered throughout this episode. And then at the end, I don't know whether we're supposed to feel like we got a full story involving Kara, but when you sit there and count the amount of minutes that she was on screen, she had to be the least featured character of any of the core group that we had in this entire episode. It also doesn't boast well for the Phantom Zone. While I don't want to see Kara stuck there because it sidelines her in her own show... I also don't want to see more of the Phantom Zone because it seems like the type of place, the more we do see it, the less it feels like a great threat. And that's not what the world of Superman and Supergirl needs. The Phantom Zone is this great place because we don't know much about it. We don't know what it looks like. But the more we investigate it in this show, the more they explore it to try and find where Kara is, the more it just looks like a cheap wasteland setting. And I think it loses the aura around it. Same with the Phantoms in this. I don't want to see them. I don't want to see the Phantom Zone. I want them to remain a mystery together. And the longer we push on with this part of the story, the less I'm afraid of the characters being there and getting stuck there. And the longer we're there, the less time Kara is going to have back in her real world with her co-characters before this show wraps up in a matter of weeks. Maybe, though, we do get some answers next week. Episode 4 of Season 6 is titled Lost Souls. So by the sounds of that, we might be focusing more on Kara, more on the Phantom Zone before they make their way back to Earth proper. We are not talking to Flash next week. That trial of Killer Frost will have to wait for a few more episodes. We are two weeks as far as how they were aired without the Flash. We are back, though, talking about Batwoman Season 2, Episode 11, Arrive Alive. We will see what happens in the world of the DCU over the next seven days and talk about it on next week's episode. As far as James Gunn's Twitter is to go by, there is always something on offer, and hopefully we get a little something extra to celebrate the 85th anniversary of Superman as a character since his debut in Action Comics back in 1938. Once again, hit us up on the socials, drop us a comment, send us an email, geek at gmail.com. Let us know your top Superman moment across any form, across any medium, across any decade, and we will read it out on next week's podcast. Until then, enjoy your DC, and we'll be back to talk all of it, including The Flash's new trailer on the next episode of It's All Part of the Plan. Get into geek.